Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, last week, we finished up a series looking at the book of Colossians, that letter to the church in Colossae, uh, written by Paul, probably with the help of Timothy. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes when you go through what's called an epistle, those, those letters in the New Testament, it can be difficult from a preaching standpoint because a lot of what's spoken about in those letters, uh, part of it is they're contextual. They apply to the context of the recipients of the letter, but some of it is that it just kind of applies to the church at large. And I like to preach things that like, you can take home with you, that you can say, okay, this really affects my life. For instance, last week we talked about gatekeeping, that concept of gatekeeping, and how oftentimes we are gatekeepers to Christianity. We say you have to look this way, act this way, talk this way in order to be a Christian. And really, yes, that is a problem for the church, but I suppose in many of your individual lives, it's not really something that you encounter all that much. Well, today, with today's message, this is 100% something that is personal. It's about your own life. It's about uh, really your daily life and how you interact with, with yourself, with the world, with God on an everyday basis. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the most foundational tenets of this religion, which is faith. Before we go into that, let's talk to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this chance that we can come together and worship you, whether here in person or online, wherever and whenever that may be. Lord, thank you. I pray that you're able to focus us on you, that we're able to, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you can move me out of the way because nobody wants to hear from me, but instead we want to hear from you, Lord. And so I submit myself to you, and I pray that all who hear these words, that they would be willing to do the same, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us in a powerful way. Pray all these things through your son, Jesus, in his name. Amen. Now, faith is one of those concepts that you hear about a lot in church. You can hear about a lot outside of church as well. And I, I think we have a pretty good grasp on what it means, right? If, you, if I asked you how to define faith, you probably, something would come to mind, whether it be belief in something you don't see, uh, maybe you make it synonymous with trust, right? These kind of definitions of faith, and I think those are valid. Um, we see in our Hebrews reading today, right at the beginning, uh, it actually gives a very quick definition of what faith is. It says, faith is an assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. So being assured, being certain of what is hoped for, right? These dreams that we have, well, perhaps even in the case of this context, we'll talk about in a second, the promised things. So assurance of that and then conviction and things unseen. Even though we can't see them, it is having the conviction to say that they are true. Again, whenever you're looking at an epistle, a letter within the New Testament, it's important to look at the context. Specifically, who's the recipient? Who are they writing to, right? The author of this particular book, Hebrews, um, is believed to be Paul, though it's never explicitly stated. Um, and he's writing to new Christians, which like, yeah, okay, the entire New Testament is written to new Christians because there weren't really old Christians yet, right? Uh, still kind of one generation of, of Christianity alive at the time. But he's writing to new Christians specifically who have a Jewish tradition, right? There's this conflict that's happening societally where they, had, they were Jewish. They had this Jewish and uh, Hebrew, Israelite, whatever phrase you want to use, background, and all the traditions and all the religious things that go with that. But now there's this new movement called Christianity, and Jesus comes along, and a lot of the Jewish people weren't too keen on this Jesus guy, 
And so they're kind of wrestling with, what does it mean to be a Christian? Have I abandoned my old faith? And essentially what the author of Hebrews is trying to do is show them, no, it, they're linked together. Some of the concepts that Jesus talks about, some of the concepts that you would see within Christianity or the way, as it was called at that point, um, things like faith were present, though not necessarily explicitly talked about in the Old Testament. In our Hebrews 11 reading, it talks about various experiences of faith. He talked about Abel and Cain. He talked about Abram or Abraham. He talked about Noah, all these different people who had this idea of God told them to do something and they trusted. They had to step out in faith, right? Basically, what he's allowing these new Christians to do is say, it's okay to connect your Jewish traditions, the things that you know, you love, that you consider to be scripture, and still connect them with this idea of faith. It's okay to, to talk about it, faith. It's okay to even have faith, okay? Because that Jewish religion had become very intellectualized, which, to be quite frank, sometimes happens within the Christian church, happens within the Lutheran church. If you ever sit in a Bible study and they're throwing all these terms at you and you're like, I don't know what any of this means. I thought this was about faith. It's okay because it's not about your intellectual knowledge. It's about the faith you have. So I want to dive into that. I want to leave behind kind of the nebulous theoretical concept of faith and talk boots on the ground. What does it mean to have faith? I want this to apply to you and to your life. What does it mean to have faith? Basically, it means that the Holy Spirit is at work within you, is inspiring something within you to trust something that you don't know for sure. Let me explain. I think humans are hardwired to have some level of faith. I say that because if you look even pre-sin, Adam and Eve in the garden, they're told you can eat of any tree in the garden, you can hang out with all the animals, have a great time, just don't eat of these two trees. And what were those two trees? The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if they had eaten from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, what would happen? Their eyes would be open and they would see good and evil. So in other words, they were trusting in God that they were going to be provided for. They were trusting in God without knowing even about the concept of evil. There was a level of faith there even before that first sin. So what was the first sin? Was it the fact that they ate from the tree? Yes, that was the practice. But ultimately, the sin that they experienced was a need, a desire, this, this lust for knowledge and control. They needed to know. It wasn't enough to just understand that, yeah, don't eat from that tree. Why? I don't know, because he told us not to. They needed control. They needed to be in charge. That was really the sin that, that Adam and Eve encountered, right? That's what the, Satan tempted them with. He said, if you eat from this tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And like, yes, I want the same power and control that God has. And that has persisted into our modern age. We still have that same burning desire to know. It's not enough to just understand. It's not enough to just have faith. We need to know. And let me say this very clearly. I'm not saying that the pursuit of knowledge in any way is sinful. It's good to ask questions. Make sure you stick around to hear the answer, but it's good to ask questions. It's good to pursue knowledge. God can hold up to testing. The world sometimes can hold up to testing, right? So it's not, that, it's not the pursuit of knowledge, it's that need to be in control. It's that need of saying, I don't understand this and it confuses me and it, it causes me anxiety. More on that later. 
So within us is this, this need or this desire for faith, but, but it's counteracted by our sin of wanting to be in control. And so the Holy Spirit comes and essentially inspires that faith, kind of builds up that faith, pollinates that faith so that it can grow and mature and eventually bear fruit. But I've gotten back to the abstract. What is faith? What does it do? Well, essentially it sets us free. It sets us free from that need to be in control. If we truly have faith, if we truly are willing to say, God, I don't know this, I don't even fully understand it, but I trust in you, that sets us free from that need for control. At the end of our Old Testament reading this morning in our early service, it talks about Abram. It talks about how Abram was promised that he would have many descendants and great nations, right? But the issue for Abram is he said, all evidence points to that's not going to happen. I have no kids, and I'm too old to have kids, and my wife's too old to have kids. So everything points to that not happening. But it says he believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not that he was righteous. Abram was not a righteous man. He did many terrible things. But it says that it was credited to him as righteousness. The same thing happens to us with our faith. Our faith is credited to us, given to us as credit for righteousness. That's what Martin Luther discovered as he was going through scripture. He realized that we are saved by grace through faith. That's really what caused him to kind of push away from the Catholic Church. So we have this, this faith that sets us free. Basically, it means this. Faith sets us free to do a number of things. First, it allows us to imagine. Faith sets us free to imagine, because for Abram, he looked at the world around him, he looked at the evidence that he had presented to him, and he said, this isn't going to happen. God, you're saying that I'm going to have kids, you're saying that I'm going to have these great nations and this amazing legacy. Cool. Evidence to the contrary. But his faith allowed him to imagine, what would it be like if my legacy didn't end with me? What would it be like if this promise came true? What would it be like if God actually provided, if God actually gave me blessings? That's the question for you. What can you imagine if God actually provided? What would it look like in your life if you received God's blessings? If God, if you saw those blessings in a real way, take some time to imagine that. See, we, imagination gets this bad rap in our modern age. It becomes like, that's something that kids do and adults leave it behind, right? Oh, if you imagine, get your head out of the clouds, man. But God imagines. When God created, did he not imagine? Did he not think up the concept of light? Did he not think up the concept of the duckbill platypus? And he made it happen. He imagined it. It's putting image to a dream, right? That's what imagination is. And then he made us in his image. He imagined us. God gives us the faith that sets us free to imagine. What could you imagine? Maybe relationships that are broken, finally being repaired. Maybe it's a life that's been torn apart, finally being made whole again. Maybe it's an addiction left in the past and finally overcome. What can you imagine if you have God on your side? For me, over the past couple of weeks, I've been sitting down and writing out a formal three-year plan for Christ's memorial. Kind of dreaming a little bit. What would it look like you know, one year down the line, 18 months, two years, etc.? Asking things like, well, what, does, what do our ministries look like? Would we have new ministries? What do our buildings look like? What, how, what is our attendance? And I'm writing these down, and they're kind of scary. 
to be kind of honest, as I'm looking and I'm looking, you know, well, we just came out of July, our lowest attendance month of the year, and it's hard to be writing, well, I'm pretty sure we'll have this number by this time, but I can imagine. And I can trust that God is going to do incredible things. And ultimately what I'm imagining is God's love reaching out into this community in a real powerful way. What I'm imagining is Christ's memorial being a beacon, being a force to be reckoned with within this area so that people may know that message of hope and love, that we can grow community through the love of God. Yeah, it's scary. Sometimes it's scary to just imagine but through faith, knowing that God is with us, knowing that, that we aren't doing this alone, it sets us free to imagine. What I dream is of a church that is generous, a church that is giving, a church that reaches out and shares who we are, shares the love of God, shares the message of Christ, because that's the other thing that, that faith does. It sets you free to be generous. It sets you free to recognize that the blessings that you have, the blessings that we get to hold here, the blessings you have in your life, if you have faith, you recognize that they don't come from you. All the work that you've done to earn those things, the talent that God gave you, the opportunities that God gave you. And when you start to grab hold of that, you start to see gifts differently. You start to understand the concept of first fruits. See, first fruits, it's a term that's thrown around a lot when it comes to church. Basically, it means this. Like, imagine, and this is, this hits a little too close to home. You plant some tomato seeds, and you care for them for months and months, and they start to grow, and you're like, yes, I'm finally growing, and you're watering them because you live in Houston. It's the hottest and driest it's ever been in the history of mankind. The Sahara Desert saying, hey, do you guys eat some rain? Um, and so you're watering and cultivating this tomato, and finally you get that first tomato that's finally ripe after months and months, and you're like, this would be like 39 cents at the grocery store. Um, but you pluck off that one tomato, and you say, God, this is for you, because I trust that there's going to be a second tomato. I trust that this first tomato isn't it. See, our Hebrews reading talked about Cain and Abel, and Abel's offering, it wasn't that it was like qualitatively better, it was that it was his first fruits. It was that he said, this is a statement of faith. I have faith that God, you have provided this and that there will be more yet to come. And so I'm going to give out of generosity, out of appreciation to God. I've talked a lot about my two dogs, Bonzer and Quigley, little mini Australian shepherds. Bonzer's the old man, he's like 14 plus years old. Quigley's the young, annoying one who's like three-ish. Um, and they approach food in very different ways. Bonzer, being old and curmudgeonly, it takes him a long time to eat, and so he'll sit and kind of guard it for a while. He'll bark at Quigley if he gets too close. But Quigley, especially when he was just a little pup, he was aggressive with his food. You'd put it down, and like you would think that he's never seen food in his entire life. He scarfs it down, and if you got too close with it, he truly would get aggressive. Luckily, we've trained him out of that, but also because now he knows us. Now he knows that there's going to be another meal. We're not going to let him starve. That's our relationship with God when it comes to generosity. When it comes to recognizing I have blessings in my life that I, I can give back, you no longer feel that need to hoard it, no longer feel that need to be greedy about it. You no longer feel that need to hold it so close because, hey, I know there's going to be more. I know that if the other dog gets at this food, that's fine. They've got a whole bag of it in the pantry. I know that, that if I give this to this person who desperately needs this right now, that God will continue to provide for me. 
That's why during the offering time, I often say, if you're a guest with us, don't feel obligated to give. Instead, we give you the opportunity to receive because it comes from a relationship. It comes from a life of understanding God has blessed us and that we can continue to be blessed. But if you don't have that relationship yet, if that bond hasn't been formed yet, then we're not gonna expect that of you. Of course not. We have the opportunity to be generous. Faith sets us free to be generous. And not just with our treasures, but also with our time, also with our love, our compassion. I mean, if Jesus modeled nothing else, it is being generous with compassion. People that that nobody else would show love and compassion to, Jesus modeled, hey, no, you kneel down and you look them in the eye and you show them that they are people and that they are loved. Boy, wouldn't it be great if the church did more of that? Faith sets us free to be generous. It's an act of faith to, to share, an act of faith to walk alongside somebody. That's what leads me to my third one here, the last one. Faith sets you free to have peace. Because when you understand that you're not in control, when you understand that the blessings that you have aren't going to be taken away from you, that the blessings you have aren't going to stop, that God's not going to abandon you, then you can get your way through difficult times. You can keep going through the storms of this life. Now, it's not to say it's going to be easy. No, because remember, when Jesus told his disciples, oh, ye of little faith, it wasn't about how their faith would calm the storm. No, Jesus calmed the storm. What he was calling them out for was the fact that they were afraid they were going to die. They were afraid that the storm was going to overcome them, right? That's what they were afraid of. And he was saying, your faith should show you that even that means you've been set free. Even that means you've been gained entry into heaven. It's your faith that sets you free. That's what should give you peace. I mean, it talked about in our, our uh, epistle reading that the people of the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't come yet, right? Noah, Abram, all those people, Jesus hadn't come yet. So how could they have faith in Jesus? They had faith in the promise yet to come, and that's what set them free. For us, as you live your life, as you encounter storms, and you will encounter storms, we live in a broken world that we're constantly adding to the brokenness, you can find peace in knowing, first of all, this world isn't it, that there's something better yet to come, that we've been set free from this world because of the actions of Jesus Christ, because he saw as people suffered, he saw as people were celebrated, he walked around among us and lived a perfect life and then took that perfect life and walked to Golgotha so that we can be set free. So as you live your life, know that this isn't it, but on top of that, know that no matter what storm you're in, God is with you, that you're not alone. And I'm not talking just this big, like, ethereal concept, like God is with you. He, he's in charge of all things. If you are wrestling with faith, if you're wrestling with this idea of believing what is unknown, ask yourself, do I believe that this world was randomly created? Do I believe that the cosmos is just kind of thrown together? Or do I believe that the intricacies of our biology, the intricacies of things like DNA, the intricacies of how our, our universe is placed, that somehow there is an intelligent design and that that God isn't evil. He hasn't just made it and stood back and said, look at that. <laughs> Those guys are really messed up. No, he's involved in our life. He steps in, have faith in that. And that will give you peace. But even more than that, those of you who belong to the Christian church, who belong to the idea of Christianity, know that you also 
are not alone because there are people in your midst, people in your lives who have been through what you've been through. You're not alone in that. You may think that you're suffering alone. You may think you're the only one who's been through this, but I promise you there are others. Unfortunately, so often we suffer in silence. So often we take the wrong things of our lives and we just hide them so that we have a perfectly written Christmas card. Look how nice my life is. Don't look on the other side, please. The reality is we're all struggling. We live in a broken world with pain and sorrow. That's why we need a savior. So my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the challenge. Allow yourself to have faith. Allow yourself to be set free. Allow yourself to take that scary step knowing that God will guide you. Knowing that you are free to imagine. Knowing that you are free to be generous. Knowing you are free to not be alone. Allow yourself to have faith. And know that you are not alone. That God will guide you. That God will bless you. And that you can bless others through the generosity that he inspires within us. Allow yourself to have faith. Amen?